Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, this is the, uh, the penultimate class in our 14-class structured study of the Noble Dhamma practice. Um, yeah, this is the 13th of 14 classes. Um, we began with an introduction to Four Noble Truths, and then we had an individual suttas on each aspect of the Four Truths. Then we had an introduction to the Eightfold Path, and we've had, can I count still? <laughs> six suttas on the first six factors of the Eightfold Path, uh, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood. And last class was on right effort. So this class is on um, the meaning of right mindfulness or refined mindfulness as I describe it. Um, it's a very important sutta and it's one that I try to sneak into almost every retreat, whether it's scheduled or not. Because at any point in our Dhamma practice, this sutta tells us just what we're doing and how and what an auspicious event it is that we've come across the Dhamma and the auspiciousness, the specialness of actually having the Buddha's words teaching us from 2,600 years ago. And so this sutta is, is remarkable in, in that it, the Buddha describes first conceptually what is meant by right or refined mindfulness and then tells us again from 2600 years ago, very clearly and very simply how to develop that type of refined mindfulness. This is the Bodhikarata Sutta, subtitled An Auspicious Day. The Buddha was in Savati at Jita's Grove and Athapandika's monastery. There he addressed those the monks. Friends, I will teach you the meaning of an auspicious day. Again, this is an auspicious day for Dhamma practitioners, those that hope to awaken through developing understanding of Four Noble Truths. The Buddha begins immediately by telling us to bring our minds into the present moment. Do not chase after the past or project your thoughts onto the future. Not entangled with the world, be mindful of only what is occurring. That's a teaching on how not to become entangled in the world. And when we are not entangled in the world, we are mindful of only what is occurring. That's liberation. The Buddha continues, free of distraction, well concentrated, develop compassion informed by wisdom. So the Buddha is not telling us to go out and save the world or go out and love everybody. He's telling us to develop compassion that is informed by wisdom, wisdom of, that's developed through the Eightfold Path. And why is that so important? Because there's so many examples throughout human history of people with great compassion that did great harm to many other people. In fact, you could say, in some cases, millions of people. Mindfully engaged with what is skillful, the future is uncertain, and death occurs equally for all. So this is, seems kind of um, patent simplistic. Of course, we all, we all are going to die. We all know that. And most of us accept it at some level. But at the profound level that the Buddha is teaching, it's not just what occurs at the end of human life that we all die. It's that along the way, life is equal for every one of us. There's nothing that we can acquire or attach ourselves to 
that makes us special. No matter what we do throughout our life, we'll always be a six property person and nothing more. Our experiences can be what we want them to be. And if we're practicing the Dhamma, they will be mindful of what is occurring, period. Not looking at what I can get out of this moment, what I can add to me, what I need for me to be happy in this moment. Then the Buddha says, those who remain mindfully engaged with life as life occurs throughout the day have had a truly auspicious day. Those who remain mindfully engaged with life as life occurs throughout the day have had a truly auspicious day. Those are pretty powerful words from 2,600 years ago. The Buddha doesn't leave us there, though. He asks a rhetorical question, and how does one avoid chasing after the past? Well, one does not get carried away with the delight that in the past I had such a form. In the past, I had such a feeling. In the past, I had such a perception. In the past, I had such a fabrication. In the past, I had such a, such a consciousness. This is called not chasing after the past. Why did the Buddha start out with that? Because just like today, during the Buddha's day, the Buddha's day, um, the spiritual practices that were mostly rooted in, in the Upanishads um, were about developing an understanding of my past lives. In fact, most of modern Buddhism tells you that you'll know that you're awakening when you start having recollections of your past lives. What's the Buddha saying? He's saying right here, that's nonsense. He says, the only life that we have that matters is this one. Do not delight in the past, including do not delight in, in what happened yesterday or the last moment either, because that's all in the past. And that's all creating stress and distraction when I keep trying to bring the past into the present, because the past can never fit into the present. The present moment only has space for the present moment and a six property person to be mindful of that moment. That's it. That's human life. And when we can establish that, each and every moment is auspicious. Why? Because we're present for it, period. This is called not chasing after the past. And how does one not project their thoughts onto the future? One does not get carried away with the delight that in the future I might have such a form, such as the form that can play center field for the Yankees. In the future, I might have such a feeling. Just one more drink or one more drug is going to do it for me. Or one more good relationship. Or another half hour on social media. Or a subpar round on a golf course. Or any other condition we're putting on our happiness. That's called placing delight on a future experience. One does not get carried away with the delight that in the future I might have such a form. In the future I might have such a feeling. In the future, I might have such a perception. The world is wonderful. Everything is good. That's called, the, that's called the negativity of the power of positive thinking because things aren't always positive. Dukkha occurs. And if, if we're always insisting that my perception must carry a positive tone, I'm creating incredible stress and suffering for myself and probably for those around us. Why? Because first noble truth, Dukkha occurs. In the future, I might have such a fabrication. In the future, I might have such a consciousness. All this practice I'm doing and praying and bowing and meeting with the right people and reading the right poems. I'm developing my awakened consciousness. And we're all on the verge. I grew up at a time where we were on the verge of a dawning of a new age of Aquarius. 
may be true that Buddha says that's just grasping after the future and it's prone to dukkha. This is called not projecting thoughts onto the future. And how does one not become entangled with the world? An uninstructed ordinary person lacking understanding of the Dhamma sees form as a self or the self as form, which means we're taking this moment in this body personally. And the Buddha declares that as a confused state, confused. They see feeling as self or the self as possessing feeling. And how often do we describe our day, even our life, but how we feel about it? And in the Dhamma, we learn that feelings are fleeting. And if they're rooted in ignorance, they're not even an accurate reflection of what's occurring. Confused, they see feeling as self or the self as possessing feeling. Confused, they see their perceptions as self or their self as possessing perceptions. This is how we get caught up in all the um, different ideologies that we might attach ourselves to. Those, are, those, are, those ideologies are rooted in the perception that with enough effort become a fabrication, become solidified. But they're all just a fabrication because they're, they're insisting that the world or me, I, must be different than I am or the world must somehow be different than it is. The world can't be different and it never can, can it? The world is what it is in this moment. In the future, there's going to be change, impermanence occurs, but in this moment, the world and myself are exactly how I must be. Confused, they see their consciousness as self or their self as their consciousness. The way that I think about myself in relation to the world will determine my experience of my entire life, but more importantly, this moment. And if this moment is, is framed by the Eightfold Path, and rooted in refined mindfulness, it will be a liberating moment, a meaningful moment, an auspicious moment. This is what is meant by becoming entangled with the world. So how do we become entangled in the world? It's not by going out in the world and having a job or having relationships or going to school or going out to dinner or going to a wonderful concert. We become entangled in the world through our thoughts, what we hold in mind. The world has nothing to do with the entanglements except the world itself is ripe for entanglements. But we do it with ourselves. And why do we do it? We do it because we think we're not enough for this moment. And we do it because we think the game of life is about acquisition. But what did the Buddha just teach us? Death occurs equally for all. We all get to take an equal amount into the great beyond, which is nothing. We have this one life to consider and nothing else. So let's be present for this moment because this is really the only moment we have. The Buddha continues, with right view established, the, the wise Dharma practitioner does not see feeling as the self or the self as possessing feelings. It's just a feeling. But how often do we ask people to describe themselves to us by how they're feeling? How you feel it? It's really irrelevant, isn't it? I mean, I do it all the time, but it really is irrelevant. A better question be, would be, what are you holding in mind in this moment? But you're not likely going to get a wise answer from that. With right view established, they do not see per perceptions as self or the self as possessing perceptions. But notice the Buddha still is describing and a wise Dharma practitioner still has perceptions. It's an aspect of human thinking within a six property person. We simply do not take our perceptions as self. It's not me. 
with right to establish, they do not see fabrications as self or the self as possessing fabrications. This is how we're able to recognize ignorance and move beyond it. With right to establish, they do not see consciousness as a self or the self as possessing consciousness. How do we do that most profoundly in jhana meditation? When we recognize thoughts and feelings arising and passing away and not taking it personal, coming back to our breath. This is all rooted in the four foundations of mindfulness, isn't it? Leading to the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which is one way of characterizing it. I'd say it in most every class is be at peace with a less than peaceful mind state. This is called not being entangled with the world. And then the Buddha teaches us how to do it. To develop an auspicious day, remain present with your life as your life occurs. That begins with jhana meditation, doesn't it? Being able to be present and stay present with a thought or a feeling and coming back to our breath, uniting a mind in our body. And after a little bit of practice, we're able to take that jhana, that concentration off our cushion and bringing it into our moment by moment life. So to establish refined mindfulness, again, rooted in jhana but now framed by the entire Eightfold Path. Remain free of entanglements with the world and mindful of what is occurring. Be mindful of impermanence and uncertainty. Each and every moment is impermanent. Each and every moment is uncertain as to what the next moment will bring. Each feeling is impermanent. Each thought is impermanent. And when we can recognize that in the moment, as these impermanent feelings and thoughts are arising and passing it away, then we can stay meaningfully, meaning, meaningfully engaged with this moment and so have an auspicious day. Then the Buddha says, those that do so will have an auspicious day. And I love this line. So says this peaceful saint. I'm not sure who that is. Ooh. What's your <laughs> wife's name? Uh, my wife's name? It was Joanne. I couldn't find that person in your contacts. Bye, Siri. That's the first time that happened. Goodbye, Siri. Oh, well. Siri's not going away. So says this peaceful sage. Not Siri. Isn't that lovely, this peaceful sage? These are the kind of suttas as I was developing them that I really felt like I was getting to know this man, even though he was passed 2,600 years ago, because you, you can see his and feel his sincerity, his skillful desire that we all awaken and, and realize what an auspicious day it is to recognize this human life. Right, Brian? I completely agree. Um, it's really interesting, the, the delight in the aggregates. Yeah. Not not getting carried away with the light in the aggregates. And there's this conflation between the aggregates and the self. Yeah. With wrong view, the the very act of delight leads to the suffering. And I know that that's in another sutta somewhere as well, but I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. And the same thing with the becoming entangled in the world. It's it's the aggregates and the clinging together, the aggregates that that cause the entanglement. And yeah. seeing all of that clearly with right view and holding in mind the present moment, you're able to avoid that that chasing after the, the desire and the clinging together, the entanglements. And it truly is an auspicious day if you can do that. Yeah. So. 
Thank you for the teaching. Thank you, Brian. And we can all do that. You know, of course we can. That's that's Dharma practice. And you're you're so right to see that without doing this, we're, all we're doing is proliferating the, the aggregates, which, as we know, is the ongoing personal experience of suffering. Right. And I know you've heard me say this often that this is each moment holds the potential to either continue ignorance and so continue stress and suffering or continue to incline my mind towards awakening. And this sutta tells us exactly how to do it. Thank you, Brian. Philippe from down under. Good day. Good day, mate. <laughs> uh, wow, that was a really, it was like a summation of everything in that sutta. Yeah. You know? It was some, like Brian was saying that, you know, the aggregates, how that spills out through the sixth sense base, you know, that interdynamical flow of that. And there's the three marks of existence under that, you know, if I, if I try to find self in something that's impermanent, I suffer, you know, just that, oh, that was really beautiful. It was like everything in all of Buddhism, the early Buddhist texts, not the magical, mystical <laughs> The other stuff, <laughs> I get lost in that shit, man. And um, yeah, it was really beautiful. I just found it really simple, really easy to follow. And and the mindfulness practice beforehand, I, you know, I think I told you I'm doing this, putting on this retreat uh, for the fellowship that I belong to, and 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 my ego has just been wrapped. My thinking and myself has just gone boom, and it looks it settles down. I have a cyclic sort of existence with reality. What I would you know, what I interpret as that. And, and, you know, my my mind will settle and the ego, sort of the, the sense of self will take a step back and sits on a couch metaphorically, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then something comes along and something comes along and it's like it's been weight and it's been doing push-ups and, you know, yeah. doing burpees and stuff. And it's just like, <laughs> it just grabs that thing and just goes, let's do some thinking, man. <laughs> and and so, <laughs> So uh, that was the most peace I've had in a couple of weeks, which was really beautiful. I just dropped into my, you know, dropped in and really quickly. And I could feel, I could feel the thoughts, the thoughts had come. But it's, normally I go, oh, I'm thinking again, shit, come back. But it was just a smooth transition between thoughts arising and dissipating and coming back. There was no, it was just a flow state, which was really awesome. I was really aware of it when that arise. And I go, okay. And then they go again, I'll come back. Very beautiful. Great experience. Thank you. Wow. That, that's outstanding that you can see it. And, and they're really, when you're present for this moment and not getting caught up in your feelings or thoughts, there's a real visceral um, recognition of that as well, though, that this is, that I'm not being caught up in the world. It's just, this is life. And it's invigorating mm. too, isn't it? I can feel it in your, in your voice, Philippe. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, very kind of you. Yeah. Also, I'm, I'm very kind of you to join us. Did you want to say something wrong? Yeah, we all have fun listening to Philippe. Uh, Jeff, how are you? Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny, given my circumstances of the past year, where I've had a lot of health challenges. Everyone's inclined now to ask me how I'm feeling. You know, and I sort of... <laughs> yeah. I felt just as fine as I did before because that's the way I want to feel, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I wrote down that that I think I'm going to reply with, "What are you holding in mind?" 
and see where that yeah. goes. I, I, I think that's just yeah. I think yeah. I think that'll be a, a really interesting study because I I've noticed how difficult it is to maintain. Um. Uh, to maintain a detachment when people are constantly asking you, you know, you doing okay? You feeling all right? Yeah, you know. So how are you feeling? <laughs> well, it you know, it depends on what I'm holding in mind. What are you holding in mind? <laughs> Good to see you, my friend. Julia! Thank you for the teaching, John. Um, this is amazing. Uh, so the way I perceive things is not really who I am. And I'm also tired of people asking me how I'm feeling. <laughs> and it does, I do tend to detach um, when I'm getting like the, oh, like, who are you with? What are you doing? You know, uh, how are you feeling? What's wrong? And it's like, oh, and then I just isolate because I don't want to, if that stuff just like pushes me away and, uh, it's like, I can explain how I'm feeling in this moment, but then two minutes later, I could feel something totally different. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's all I have. Thank you. We do it, not, and not to put words in your mouth, Julie, but uh, are you it's just establishing seclusion rather than isolating, or are you really resisting the world? Because just being quiet on your own is not isolating. No, I guess it's not isolation. See, <laughs> yeah. and, and and I think well, we've talked about it that that. You know, you are, you're able to have a lot of time by yourself and it doesn't drive you nuts. Most people can't do that. You know, it's just it's just too hard to be quiet and by themselves and not have something going on. But you do it very well. Thanks. And also, I want to add, like. Um, be like being around. It's like I'll miss like I'll miss being around friends and miss being around people. But then when I'm. I have a hard time, you know, hanging out with somebody and then listening to, okay, wait, let me restart. You mentioned in the, when you were explaining that, um, oh, wait, I need a second. Sorry, guys. Take your time. Everyone's always explaining how they're feeling. And then when I'm with, when I'm hanging out with somebody, it's them talking about how they're feeling and then asking them how I'm feeling. And that's really exhausting. And I feel like that makes life more stressful. It does. Than it needs to be. Yeah. I, there, there's an appropriate time. When you see somebody that, that just tripped over a curb and banged their head on something, it's okay to ask how you feel. Are you okay? But in general, it, it's, it's, a, um, it's a societal construct that, that is rooted in ignorance, isn't it? Because no matter how you're feeling this moment, it's going to change in the next. So it really is irrelevant. But you know, but we also live in the world. So and we have to we have to live in the world. So 
So I'll ask you the same question. How are you feeling, Julia? Bye. John. It's good to see. John, I'm yeah, going gonna, gonna to I'm gonna have to go. My friends come back and we're going for a bushwalk and a swim. So I'm going to have to go. Thank you. I'll see you next week All if right. we can make it. I'll see you next see week. See you guys. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, thanks. Thank you, John. I'll see you soon. Oh, good guy. Hello, Jane. I'm sorry, Julie, were you finished? Yes. <laughs> Hello, Jane. Hi, John. Thank you for the auspicious teaching. I have nothing to add. You said I it all. Like, when I leave you speechless. I'm speechless. Thank you. Merry Christmas, Jane. And, and please yeah. tell Mary and Kevin I said the same. I will. Thanks. Brett. <clears throat> Thanks for your teaching. Uh, good to be here. Um, it's just a good teaching to hear with uh, you know, all, the, all the stuff that's goes on, I guess, during the holidays or general um but it makes you realize you just come back to your breath and there's all those other layers on there that just don't have to be there yeah. it's, uh, sometimes it's uh, it's a hard it's it's hard to it's hard to recognize sometimes to keep the, the layers get they build up yeah so, good to be here thanks yeah they, they do build up and that's where concentration comes in yeah you know what it's a good if you if you find that you've really like just lost it, like life has become overwhelming, which it does at times, it, it, the, the solution and the understanding is take a breath. Right. You know, it doesn't matter how um, matter entangled how. you might seem to be. Right. Because you're only a breath away from being disentangled, no matter what the situation is. Yeah. You know, wanting things or desire yeah. like to do things sometimes that gets. Yeah, we've talked about that a lot. It's just wanting whatever it is in this moment that I need to be different or something needs to be different. Right. right. And in the sense, in that sense, I've lost my mind because things can't be different and I can't be different than I am right now. The next moment brings the opportunity for difference, if you will. But through the Dhamma, we can make that an auspicious moment. Right. Dhamma practice. Thank you. Dhamma teaching wrong. I forgot to use the. Sorry, Brett. I didn't put you on camera. I didn't mean to not put no, that on <laughs> Yeah, all this talk about how, how you're feeling uh, reminds me of the, the times I've spent in therapy and how frustrating it was for me because people ask me, well, how do you feel about that? Or how did you feel about that? I, I just be, you know, you know, speechless because I had no way to, you know, I, was I the only one in the room that that didn't understand that feelings are just impermanent? Yeah. I didn't really know it at that time, but um, to be asked about your your especially your past feelings, it's like complete frustration yeah. if you're trying to do that because now you're trying to make something that's that's impermanent permanent. Yeah. And it is better left in the past. And right. Because it's already it's yeah. gone. Yeah. yeah, and it's not, I, I, this is certainly not any kind of a condemnation on therapy because therapy helps an awful lot of people that need it. Oh, sure. But it is focused a lot on the past and what's wrong mm -hmm. and dragging that stuff into the present. Uh, but, but again, many people find benefit from that. Yeah, yeah. there's been but, a couple of, of uh, 
sessions where, uh, and specific technique where uh, I thought, oh, oh, this is useful. You know, in one of them, the whole thing was about how you listen to somebody, how you listen to to your partner. Yeah, and uh, that was just great stuff. Uh, the rest, even though I'm a psych major from college. Um, I'm quite bummed about it. Yeah. yeah. Again, it, it, this isn't meant to be therapy, although it can be very, very therapeutic. It's just a, a different way of um, looking at reality, you know, from a from a dominant point of view, rather than. Uh, would be the right word because I don't want to diminish. Um, ra rather than looking for salvation. If you're able to, you can practice the Dhamma and get beyond the need for salvation or mm -hmm. to fix something that's not broken. And that that is kind of the problem that, that can arise in therapy is that you're always trying to fix this broken self mm -hmm. right. when the Buddha teaches us that there's nothing broken. Although I've met some broken people yeah. and they needed it. So. But I, I did want to say that but what struck me in this Sutta is that what he's describing as, as an auspicious day the, the complete ordinariness of it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's nothing special or wild or wonderful going on. It's just what's here now. Yeah. That's, that's the whole suspiciousness of it. If there's a paradox in the teachings, that's it. But because, but it, it, but abandoning all of that stuff leads to this this most ordinary moment being special. Because it is why? Because I'm I'm living it. Yeah. Where up until you know, coming to the Dhamma, I didn't. I was always planning on it. You know, <laughs> life is always gonna there's always gonna be something there for me. But it, it makes the whole uh, the, even the words you know where, where you know the majority of everybody's or in in Buddhism they're looking for at least in the English world looking for enlightenment. Yeah. And it's really a distracting word it is. because uh, awakening is way, a way better um, signpost to look for. Yeah, yeah full human maturity. We really can't become enlightened, but we can develop maturity. Thank you. Dhamma teacher Kevin. Hi, John. Um, I'll follow what Jane said. I, I don't have anything to add. Thank you for the auspicious teaching. I might add Merry Christmas and Meli Kalikimaka. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I like the Hawaiian. Merry Christmas, Kevin. Dama teacher David. Hi, Jack. Hi, Dan. I'm good as well. Thank you. Thank you. I always like it when I meet people speechless. But see what Matt has to say. Dama teacher Matt. John, thank you for the teaching. Um, yeah, I, I, I like I like what what uh, Brian picked up on in that each of these each of these little things where we take delight in something in the past or in the future. Um, is the process of making something personal. Yeah. And there's nothing personal in this moment the moment isn't personal the thought 
that's occurring in the moment isn't personal. And so there's, there's not, it's not like, uh, <clears throat> how do I articulate this? We're not detached from life walking around in a haze when we understand that the moment isn't personal. The moment isn't personal. Yeah. That's and, well said. You know, so there's something there. You know, when the Buddha teaches the understanding of suffering and the cessation of suffering, and like you always say, you know, the cessation of suffering happens, could happen any moment. Yeah. So, when we realize at the moment there's nothing personal, we've understood the cessation of suffering in that moment. Yeah. It's yeah. just that. And that's an auspicious day. It is. Well said, now I teach him that. Um, well, okay, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. There will be a class uh, on Saturday, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. Uh, New Year's Eve, we're going to have a keg here and I think a champagne tower. <laughs> uh, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. Somebody jumping out of Brett's going to bring the big uh, barbecue grill. Yeah. Set it up in the back. Sounds mm -hmm. good. Take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, emitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all of the beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding for fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for listening. 
I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.